together from the cosmic reaches of the universe. Here, in this great hall of the Signal Watch, are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. Join us as we discuss all manner of topics across the multiverse of comic books, history, creators, storylines, movies, and more. The Signal Watch Podcast presents Kryptonian Thought Beast, a comics podcast series dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. everybody and welcome back to a positively batty episode of the signal watch as always i'm your host ryan steens and with me today is jamie and jamie uh what are we watching what did we watch uh 1989 batman yeah um we were about well you picked it out of the hbo max or whatever max i guess now lineup i did i was just scrolling through looking for a movie and realized i hadn't seen batman in a long time yeah i think the last time i watched it was by myself at the paramount maybe yeah i mean i've seen bits and pieces of it you know here and there um surprisingly it's not one that if i see it on tv i'll just watch just because i've seen it so much um but i do love it (laughs) (laughs) and part of that is just nostalgia sure for when like when it came out like there was nothing like it i mean we'd had superman come out in Mm -hmm. 78 yeah which was over 10 years before so we're 14 years old it's been 11 years right there's never been i mean Okay, Batman 66 is a classic. I will never take anything away from it, but it is a very, very different movie. Yeah. Um, so were you aware of the Bat hype as it was leading up to the release of this film? Sure. I don't think as much as you were. I mean, I wasn't into comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, my brother was probably more excited about this movie than I was. I was aware of, like, the hullabaloo about um, Michael Keaton being cast and maybe miscast and oh my god what is Tim Burton going to do with this but once the first trailer came out I think is when people started getting really excited yeah I I, I would agree um, I, I think it's important to put into context kind of where you were a non-nerd in 
1988. I wouldn't say that. I would say I was not into comics. <laughs> there was still variations on nerd. <laughs> so it came out in the summer between, for me, between middle school and high school. But your junior high went through ninth grade. Correct. So you were still going to be in junior high. Right. Next year. So, but we were both going into ninth grade. So I had spent basically, I can't remember exactly when I started reading comics, but. Um, most of middle, I mean, all of middle school was just kind of this ramping up and it felt to me like I was going to hit this crescendo with the release of Batman. Do you remember when it was announced? So my first notion that there was a movie actually coming, um, I think was reading, there used to be a magazine called comic scene Mm -hmm. and it would talk about what was happening in comics as well as what was happening with adaptations. And they'd had an interview with Sam Hamm, who was the writer. His name was actually Sam Hamm. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, H A M M. Um, he, uh, had written whatever screenplay was eventually adapted into this. A lot of what he discussed in that article is not actually in the movie. So I assume there were massive rewrites and he was like, whatever, give me my check. Um, I think it was a lot more true to the comics, whatever he wrote. Uh, some of the stuff I remember him describing included like a subway chase where Batman's cape gets caught in a subway door. Um, and I mean, it was being kind of practical about sure. the whole thing in, in his way. Um, and then this trailer hit during the winter, I want to say. And my memory is at the time on our cable, two new channels had come out at that time. What was would become Comedy Central was called the Comedy Channel hit and had a really weird format of basically showing MTV like clips of stand up and movies. And the other thing was a channel that showed nothing but movie previews. Oh, and they would tell you like with a VJ, like, Hey, we're going to show Batman. And I remember sitting there for a full hour going show Batman, show Batman. And we, but we had enough time to set up the VCR. So I recorded it and then we just watched it over and over and over the trailer, the trailer. Like a, was it a 30 second clip? Was it two minutes? It was, it was, I think a full two minute trailer and it included all the like, where did he get those wonderful toys? Uh-huh. Where does he get those wonderful toys and all that? Like, I think it was mostly, I think the scene from the, the museum. Okay. Uh, and then shots of the Batmobile and like, Oh my God, look at this crazy ass movie. Warner brothers just made and him saying I'm Batman. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that was in there. Um, but I, it, it, the comics I was reading at the time were basically my, my two main ones were X-Men and Batman and everyone there. Batman was on this huge run. It had been like since the seventies had done like kind of was walking away from a goofier kind of flavor of Batman. And this mm-hmm. is like Paul Kupperberg and some other people were, were writing some really good Batman stuff. Um, there's, there's some famous runs by some other folks too, who are whose names are completely escaping me at this time. Um, and I'm really embarrassed, but then you got into in 86. So you're only, you know, two and a half years before this dark Knight's coming out. And that really changed fundamentally how people thought about comics themselves within the comics world. This was kind of the change then for how the rest of the world would view superheroes forever. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I think 
you have a few fundamental points in superhero film history. You have the the serials that came out during kind of the World War II era of like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the Batman serial, but Batman one, no. Yeah. It's no. a very goofy man driving a sedan, wearing a like it looks like his mommy made his bat suit for him. And he's with his like weird friend who didn't quite have as much money to put together a suit, who's Robin. Oh no. And they just live in a house. It's not like a mansion. (laughs) Was he he supposed to be wealthy Bruce Wayne at this point? And they just didn't have the budget? Yeah. Okay. And couldn't get permission to shoot someone. And they're like, it doesn't matter. It's a serial for kids. Like no one's ever heard of this bat clown, like whatever. Um, if you've never seen the Batman serials, they're amazing. Uh, they're completely bananas. Um, so you have that kind of era of like, there's a Captain America one that's terrible. It's not Steve Rogers. It's some other guy who says he's Captain America. There's a Shadow one, uh, Shazam, in um, Superman. Of course, there was a Superman serial that's actually pretty good with Kirk Allen and, and feels very true to the source material in its way. And then you get to the sixties where they're like superheroes are ridiculous. And that's what we grew up with up till this point. Mm -hmm. When we were growing up, people thought of comics as essentially being like really lowbrow, really literally for mental deficients and perverts and for children or children, very small children. Like it was my, people were buying comics for me, like, but it was, they didn't really differentiate between like fantastic four and like Woody Woodpecker comics. It was all, Cheap entertainment, 65 cents, whatever, you know, keep the kid entertained for half an hour in the back of the car when you're driving cross country sort of thing. Um, and so whenever I told people I was into comics up until Batman 89, it was BM Wap pow. They would start, you know, adults are like pantomiming, you know, the Batman show to me and going, that's what comics are. That's what Batman is. That's what, and I had enough presence of mind at that age to just smile and go, yup. Because how are you going to argue with people who have a very firm idea in their mind of what all this stuff is? Sure. So, I can't really remember if there was much other superhero stuff that came out in the eighties, really like there's, I can't, there were the Superman movies that came out through like Superman four. I mean, we had the cartoons, but that was still, I think left over from the seventies, the it was super mostly, friends and everything. Yeah. They were doing, they did, they were getting to like galactic guardians and stuff by like the mid eighties. Um, but it, that was still aimed at children. It mm-hmm. was, you know, the, the superpowers toy line and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was at this point wearing Batman shirts, like two, three days a week to school to the point where my parents were begging me to stop. Um, and had a few other friends, like you knew who your people were. Cause like JL who's on the podcast, Justin, and I were buddies in middle school because we were bat bros, like, you know, finger gunning at each other in the hall. Um, and, you know, there, and people started then asking me about Batman, kind of like, well, what's the deal? What's this movie? Why isn't this funny? Like, Batman's funny. And you're like, well, he's, he's not. I take Batman very seriously indeed. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you about the KG Beast saga. You know, it was um, 
it was just a very different era for for what was happening in the comics and what the public thought was going on. And I think the 89 Batman leans way more into the camp aspect than people remember it doing. Um, but at the time when it came out, it was such a culture shock from the Batman 66 that people were like, oh, this is literature. Like, this is this is deep psychological stuff that we're seeing here. And I was kind of like, well, I mean, it's Batman. Okay, I'm going to get scared for this because I can't remember the name. Um, when did... Jeez, was it Ellen Moore? Killing Joke? Is that where you're going? No. Oh, gosh. What's the, what's the one that takes place in the future? Dark Knight Returns. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Literally? Yeah. When did Dark Knight Returns come out? 86. Okay. I, I seem to remember it was more of a like mid-80s vibe, like the, the art and everything. Yeah. But that uh, it's its own out. it's its own thing. Yes. That had already come out. And I, and I think it really influenced what Anton First, who's the designer on this movie, thought he could do. Mm-hmm. Um because the the city is really screwed up. Like in the comics still like the Gotham was still drawn as if it were a major metropolitan city, New York, Chicago, whatever. But even at that, they don't have much time, right? So everything's just kind of giant rectangles in the background. Mm-hmm. And Dark Knight Returns comes out and like Gotham Tower is very strange looking. And it's not the gothic look that you get now in the comics or that Anton first introduced into the film, you know, with lots of um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? I have to get this right. Art Deco um, kind of that that sort of look to it kind of mixed with. Uh, the, the the gothic you know gargoyles and whatnot um which has kind of become synonymous with batman at this mm-hmm. point it really kind of wasn't at this point batman was just a guy who lived in a major city it was called gotham but that's also been a name for new york for you know 200 years or whatever at this point uh which is actually borrowing a name from a, a town in England, and I have no idea why New York borrowed it, but they did. Well, they borrowed a lot of names. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that's true. A new Amsterdam, whatever. But um, it's uh, uh, the aesthetic of it, the, the, really the huge imprint that this movie ended up making on the comics is, is there's always this back and forth between the comics and, and the films. Mm-hmm. And this was really the pushback to that of. I mean, you can feel Tim Burton's fingerprints on it. It doesn't not work. It works. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's Gotham has this crazy. It's very gritty. It's very large scale. Yeah. Um, they don't just show like little neighborhoods or whatever as it's, as other movies did. Um, they, you know, have huge, these huge backdrops that are partially art, I'm sure. Um, but there's like just this element of craziness in the background that's like, yeah, I see some Beetlejuice in here. Um, that kind of works. I mean, partially because it's like, it's this mixture of the dark, dark Batman and crazy Joker. Yes. You have to have a world where these two things could possibly happen. Right. And I, I think they kind of successfully made it. I don't know if you shoot 
Batman in Dallas in, you know, 1987. No. What that looks like. Right. Um, I, I think that probably what they were thinking more of for in the original script was probably something more a little like 70s grit, like French Connection or something like that. Of And then, you know, this Batman guy appears in the middle of it. I, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um I can only imagine, you know, because at this point, you're probably also talking, Sam Ham has, like, Wendy Carlos keyboard riffs he's expecting to be playing through the thing. I have no idea what, what the concept was, but Burton wins the day to do the movie after doing um, Beetlejuice, which I think was very strange. Um, it tells me the studio was still thinking it was going to be some kind of wacky movie. Yeah. Um, and Tim Burton was like, no, I think I'm going to, you know, the script is this. We're going to do this a little more seriously, even though it still has its zaniness. I mean, I give him all the credit in the world because he could have made it zany. But you have Batman taking himself very seriously. Like, he cracks a joke or two, but he's mainly just, like, very... Michael Keaton's very serious about the role. Um, and the only real zaniness to it is... Jack Nicholson. Right. It's but appropriately that's what placed. He's, it's, that's his job. That's He's supposed to be the zany one. I mean, for the most part, it's a pretty serious movie. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable. It's got mm-hmm. very, you know funny parts. Um, but, yeah, I, I was surprised he took it as seriously as he did. Yeah. Not that he's not serious about his work, but his work tends to be overly zany. Usually. Yeah. I think this allowed him to kind of play with doing something more dramatic, but in a, his preferred milieu of like kind of heightened reality, you know, a little bit of surrealism, you know, Mm. thrown in there. Um, And, you know, there's this, at this point, a 50 something year roadmap of Batman that he could kind of point to and, and know if you pull from the early stuff, if you pull from the kind of pre sixties stuff, if you then pull from the seventies onward, you kind of have, you know, what Batman kind of is or, or could be. Um, there were a lot of changes made, you know, to they make sure they tuck in a lot of the things you think of as being Batman. And, and because at the end of the day, when I watch the movie now, I didn't think this in 1989, but it, I've thought it since college. This is a movie about a guy in a Batman suit. This is, and it, it, he has all the Batman kind of accoutrement, but he doesn't, he doesn't act. He doesn't do what Batman does in the comics. He's not a detective. He is a detective a little bit in this one more than any other Bat movie. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and Batman was a detective. He is the yeah. dark Knight detective. Yeah. And but he doesn't do a lot of fighting. Um, a little, I mean, yeah, he, he a little bit, but not as much no. as in the other films. Yeah. I mean, they, he was very limited in what they could do in the suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he can't like be doing like Kung Fu and like jumping off of buildings. They're showing it all as like, this is what you can do with a pulley. Yeah. Um, well, and a lot of shots are just him like staring at some henchman who's doing Kung Fu in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> For a long time. I mean, you almost get the impression he's going to whip out a gun and shoot him like yeah. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, and, of course, this Batman also just stone cold kills people. He does. And I didn't remember that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the movie starts with them talking about how Batman has apparently thrown somebody off a five-story building. Now, we don't really know what's happened. Sure. But in the comics, Batman would have saved that guy before he hit the ground. Mm -hmm. One way, whether he threw him or whether the guy stumbled and fell or whatever. But what we do know is Johnny Dobbs, like, landed on the street and there was no blood in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know... (laughs) All we know, we can really know is Johnny Dobbs fell from a five-story building. Yeah. And then Batman then proceeds to blow up an entire chemical building. Well, before that, when we were watching it this time, yeah, um, the scene where uh, Joker gets turned into the Joker, um, yeah. he meets up with another henchman before that, and he ends up throwing him off of a, a ledge, but he's, like, wrapped around a cable or something. So he doesn't kill him. He's just kind of swinging. And I, I, in my head, it's going, oh, okay, that's how they get around the killing. Yeah. But then later on, the scene, like you mentioned with him blowing up a chemical plant, right before that, you said, this is where Batman murders a bunch of people. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and sure enough, he does. And then later on, in the... The climax of the movie when he's, you know, kind of throwing henchmen down the stairwell. Um, those those guys are all dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not assuming a guy who just fell 20 flights down the middle of a stairwell is okay at right. the bottom. Um so I mean in, in, in the in the context of the eighties, I, I in in later on, I remember when Spider-Man came out in what was it, two thousand two, two thousand two thousand two? having a very hard time explaining to people why Spider-Man wasn't just murdering people. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's not really what superheroes do. And they're, and people were just like, but that's what action heroes do in movies. And I was like, yeah, but they're supposed to be superheroes. Yeah. Their thing is saving lives mm-hmm. and, and, and helping people. And that includes the people they're stopping. Right. And people had a very hard time getting their heads around that concept. I'd be curious now, given, you know, 15 years, 16 years of Marvel, how people are about that concept. Because they've done a pretty good job, including in the Nolan movies, no less, which is Snyder blew right through that concept. Well, I was going to say, Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, it's such a like vital part of the math that makes up superhero stuff that you can go without it, but then you're also like, I don't know how excited the city would be to be installing a big spotlight on top of police headquarters for a guy who just straight up blows up a chemical plant without checking with, you know, the EPA to see what the impact's going to be right. and murders 20 people without Well, and you don't know if there's just henchmen there. Right. There could be workers. Yeah, there's a guy dropping off dinner. And- yeah. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> so yeah, it's it's um, it's all like visually exciting, and it, it, it when I was fourteen, I didn't think about it a ton. No, no, I kind of was like, well, it's a movie. What are you gonna do? This is this is for the normies. Like they're not. I was so excited to have a Batman movie. I wasn't worrying about that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's an absurd costume. Apparently, like every day, every time they took it off, they would drain out like a gallon of sweat. Like, I mean, literally. it looks it looks uncomfortable. Yeah, and the poor guy cannot 
not only not turn his, he can't turn his neck. So anytime he wants to look left or right, he has to shift his shoulders. Yeah. Which I think now, like, it comes off as cute and endearing because it's part of this movie. And I just accept that as as that. And so it kind of makes me laugh. Yeah. But not, I'm not laughing at it. I just think it's cute. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm just so used to the costume at this point. Um, but yeah, I can't remember when they finally put on or put, gave him the ability to turn his neck. Was it the next one or was it after it's, that? It's not until Dark Knight. Really? They, yeah. They went through all four original Batmans. They, they no have, one, there's a line in Dark Knight where Alfred's, or, um, he, I can't remember if he's talking to Lucius or Alfred. I'm pretty sure it's Lucius, but he's like, I need to be able to turn my head. Well, that's right. Yeah. As they're getting the new bat suit pulled together. I can't believe they went that long without doing something. They were like so that. fixated on having a certain silhouette. And that's why in the new Batman movie, they're the so Robert Pattinson. They were fixated on having bat nipples that they didn't. God. Sorry. But in the, in the new. Um, the new movie, the Batman. The Batman. He has kind of like a neck brace thing to protect the back of his neck, and that's how they get the silhouette. So they okay. have the thick neck. Sure. Because otherwise, you have kind of this like bat bobblehead. Yeah. Because you, know, you have to build up the head over the yeah, top of the head. That's true. And you, if you don't have the thick neck going into the wide shoulders, it ends up looking very strange. And it's very true. I mean, say what you will about this costume; it has a really cool silhouette mm-hmm. without that. You mean with the neck being fluid into the shoulders, which is very reminiscent of what they did in the animated series. Yes. And there they're able to play it off as maybe he's got some padding under there, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's well, it's animation. You it's animation. You, you can do whatever. It. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 it also changed Batman in the comics from being a guy who wore blue and gray and had for the entirety since like pretty much 1940 up until this point and then suddenly in the comics now he's got to be in black and gray Mm -hmm. and they tried for a hot second in like when i was in college to make it a solid black outfit and that lasted like two issues they were like no this this is this costume have a little bit of yellow uh, well that yeah i mean i'm just trying to remember there's always the belt and the 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 chest chest, but yeah the the idea of making him a solid black mass was came out Mm -hmm. of this film that clearly wasn't what they'd done in in you know Batman 66. Yeah. Um, they, they just had the back cowl and tights and, and a girdle. And that seems to be, I mean, kind of his technique um, is, is more to scare people than to fight them. I mean, it, it, you get this big, like, bat thing coming up to you. It's completely pitch black, waving his cape around um it's gonna be a little unnerving yeah um i mean yes i mean the the in the original comic and he he has a very famous line of criminals are a cowardly superstitious lot or superstitious cowardly lot um and that's who just i will become a bat after a bat flies through his window it's it's all very symbolic which they very much play up in dark knight returns and had they left the footage in would have been in the val kilmer movie mm-hmm. um they, they cut it out um 
but yeah, it's, um, here it's used as kind of this intimidation technique, which makes you wonder how long it's going to last. Because you also have to remember the first thing Batman does is walk up on these two guys who are both carrying gigantic hand cannons and fire at him. And Batman just falls over. That's Batman's first activity is getting shot point blank in this movie. It's right back up. But then he gets right back up. He's not even wheezing. No. He's not, he's not going, oh, I need a minute. Like, if this were Bat Ryan, there'd be a lot of, you guys go on. I'm just going to lay here. I just need to lay here for like 15 minutes and I'll be all right. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really weird setup. They just go with the fact that like, well, clearly he doesn't look like he can move. So we have to say this suit is bulletproof. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a take for sure. He's not like ducking in and out of shadows. And as much as I have other issues with the Snyder movies. That's something that is fundamentally correct in how he does Batman and Batman versus Superman and a bit of it in justice league at the very beginning. Like those two things feel the most like Batman out of the comics to me of seeing Batman be able to jump in and out of the shadows as he's disarming people who have Uzis like that to me is what Batman should be like, he he's, he's going to use the costume, use the shadow, make sure there's the guys can't see they're confused. Um, all those sorts of things in, in the eighties, they just couldn't conceive of how this would work, I guess. And Tim Burton just wasn't interested. He, he wanted kind of this monolithic figure who was just kind of unstoppable like Superman. Yeah. So, um, until he's not, he just falls from a rope and lands in garbage. Okay. <laughs> There's some choices in this movie. <laughs> I'm just like, you guys wrote that. You got everyone to the set, and we're like, Batman then falls into garbage and passes out. And everyone said, Yeah, that's that's what we're gonna put into our feature film. I, I find the choices in this movie sometimes like fascinating. <laughs> our hero, ladies and gentlemen, garbage trampoline man. Yeah. <laughs> the other funny thing is immediately following on that, it's this is in the scene after he's rescued Vicky from the museum. Uh-huh. And all these guys kind of start jumping out of the woodwork. Very clearly not Keaton for the entire sequence. Like if you are watching that sequence, like it's it's lit as normal as anything. It's someone else completely his face under that mask. I don't think I've ever actually taking a close look at his face in that scene. I'm just never looking at that, which is like, what, what is supposed to happen. It pretty much is like, it's Keaton, like fall, like laying in the trash for a second. And then after that, it's some other guy. And then finally it's Batman doing the gesture at the guy, like the come at me, bro. Yeah. That gesture yeah. that's Keaton. Cause uh-huh. they use that in the trailers and stuff. But um, it's yeah. as very, I mean, it's a movie I've seen. I saw in the theater when it came out six times. Oh my God. Which was not something I did back then. Like two times, three times, maybe on something like last crusade that I really liked. But this movie, I just kept going back and it was the first movie I remember going, Oh shit. I've seen this movie too many times. I'm seeing the cuts. I'm seeing like where things aren't quite matching up. I'm starting to question the plot in a way that I had never really done before. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't, I, 
I have affection for it. I remember being in college and a, a roommate of mine who was like a literature major just being like, man, it's such a shame Burton can't tell a story. And me going like, what? No. What are you talking about? And then like over the years, I've been like, yeah, now Kevin was right. Tim Burton is a masterful visual storyteller. But as I mean, far that's as like what this movie floats by on. Yeah. It's I mean, the the. The imagery combined with Danny Elfman. Yeah. I mean, huge, huge impact on this. Completely agree. Um, the soundtrack, as you may recall, had two soundtracks that you could buy from Warner Brothers Records, Water Tower Records. A very interesting combination of Danny Elfman and Prince. Yeah. The inexplicable Prince insertion. Yeah. So, um, my my comic aside for this is I don't know how comic it is, but um, I was in dance class growing up, and uh, the dance class before me was doing their recital piece to Bat Dance that year. So every day when I walked in to get ready for class, Bat Dance was on, and that was okay. Look, I love Prince. I think he's a musical genius. Uh huh. He's just phenomenal. Yes. This was just a weird, weird pairing. Bat Dance is a weird song. Yes. <laughs> so part of this tale of me seeing this movie the first time was it came out the Friday. I went to, I lived in Austin at the time. I went to basketball camp in downtown Austin at the university of Texas. And you would, show up on Sunday and you left Friday around lunch and my pal Jeff's mom, Pebo, Pebo's mom, uh, had, when she picked us up from camp was like, I got you two tickets to see Batman tonight at six 30. And it's the first time you were going to see it. First time I was going to see it. And I didn't know how this was going to work out because I had wanted to see Batman opening day, but I was like, you know, trying to convince, tell my parents it's important for me to see something opening day was something they had no reference for. And we're basically like, if you lean into this, we're going to make sure you don't see this for a month. Yeah. So they're not mean. They just like not their priority. And so it, it, I got home and I was like, ma, ma, Peebo's mom bought us tickets. We're going to go see Batman at 630 at the mall. And my parents hadn't seen me in a week. And they're like, no, you're going to stay home. And I was just like, Ugh. and then my mom, her, her little like jab was, you can't leave until you've mowed the lawn. And we had this oh. gigantic yard at this house. And because in Texas back in the eighties, everyone had a gigantic yard. And I had a power mower and I looked at the mower and I looked at the yard and I said, if I go with what the power mower speed is, I'll never finish. So I sprinted pushing the mower in the Texas July or whatever it was afternoon. Yeah. Summer sun. And I finished the yard in 15 minutes <laughs> and my parents were like, you did not finish. And I was like, go out and check motherfuckers. And they went out there and were like, oh. And I was like, taking a shower, I'm going to go see Batman. He really want to see this movie. Yeah. Like, there was... Anyway, so I did go see it um, that, that night. 
Uh, and I remember standing in line and all the, 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 the theater is no longer there. And now if you're in Austin, it's where actually that restaurant is closed now too, but it's where, um, Abuelos was oh, over okay. by the mall. Yeah. Um, and there were, someone had hung all these signs above where you had to queue up that were like Biff Bam Pow. And I was like, man, one last stab before I walk into this movie. One last stab. <laughs> obviously whoever did that had not seen the movie yet right the context walking into that movie was still adam west right and when you walked out everyone had a completely different conception of batman i don't think i've ever seen anything from a movie be as culturally impactful overnight well that's not true I mean, there's been like real impact, like seeing Schindler's list and stuff that was like stuff that actually had meaning in the world, but that like overnight, everyone wasn't, they were on the Batman train and they had a completely different concept of Batman in comics and the possibilities of what you could see in a movie at that point. That's not nothing. That movie went on to gross two hundred and ninety million or something like that that summer. Wow! Which at the time was astro freaking nomical. Like literally everyone from that movie, pretty much Nicholson's, basically took nothing up front and took just back end. I heard that. I heard he made a lot of bank on this. Yeah, he walked away just filthy rich from this movie. I think he got like ten percent or something. Mm-hmm. Um. And good for him. He, he, he yeah. saw he saw what this movie could be. He knew that if he played it to the hilt. He didn't half-ass it. Right. I mean, it's not like he's just, sorry, Marlon Brando, but you showed up for the paycheck. Um, he didn't. He took it seriously. He knew uh-huh. what his job was, and he performed the hell out of it. Yeah, he saw a chance to just be completely bonkers and have fun. That said... Apparently, he only would work like eight-hour days, including his time in the chair, like the makeup chair. Including, huh? yeah, maybe it was ten-hour days, but it was it was something really limited. It wasn't this like like Guardians of the Galaxy stuff where you see like Karen Gillan showing up at like four in the morning to get mm-hmm. in the makeup chair. Like Jack's having breakfast, and then Jack will get to the studio, and then Jack will put on the makeup. Well, a lot of it was filmed at night, so yeah, I'm I sure mean, they- yeah. So I mean, it was all with sound stages, so. Um, but yeah, he, he basically, they had to be ready for him. And then Jack just got in there, did his thing and called it a day and Jack left like, and he's in a lot of the movies. He's in a lot of the movies. That means the producer and Burton both had to be really, really on point being totally ready with everything when he walked into the set. So everyone was ready to go. Yeah. Um, I do think a lot of his scenes are like him just doing his stuff and talking to Bob the goon and Bob just going, yes, sir. Well, I wonder how much was improvised. I mean, I'm sure a ton of it. It see, it seems like a ton of it was improvised. It's very like natural and yeah. just, I'm being goofy. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because it's a character that, People are frequently like, oh, it's a it's a children's character. Like we shouldn't, you know, he's a well, we've made a children's character into a mass murderer. Yeah, I mean he's dark in this. He's he's goofy, but he's dark. It's like three times it's been like Oscar nominated, I think, for the Joker. 
It's like yeah. him, Joaquin, and and wait, was he for this? I think so. Hmm. I don't I'm not sure, but anyway, I mean, it's it's a it's a legendary performance. Yeah. And then you get uh, Heath Ledger, Oscar winner, I oh, believe. Yeah, for no, his. he won. It was posthumous. Yeah, posthumous. Posthumous. Um, um, and then yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, which I still haven't seen that one. No, me either. But I mean, it's clearly something people think they can kind of dig their teeth into, and I think some some bright scholar is out there writing a, a very good book on the Joker in society right now. Yeah. And I think a lot of it you can kind of point back to not just the uh, Marshall uh, Rogers, is Roger Marshall, Marshall Rogers, can't remember, 70s stuff, but kind of what they ended up doing with the Joker um, kind of in Dark Knight Returns in the comic and kind of how he kind of reflects back on Batman and that. Um, but speaking of Prince, so part of why I started telling the story about mowing the lawn was the week before I was at basketball camp standing in line at the cafeteria and there were TVs in there and they would play MTV during the day. And the bat dance video came on and everyone just froze watching this thing. And it ended and I was like, I'm very concerned about what this movie is going to be. Well, okay. It's not just a weird song. You add the video on top of that. And it's just what are they doing? Um, it's it's a bunch of people in capes. It's like it's, dancing around. It's sexy women in Batman yes. suits dancing around, and then I believe women in Joker costumes dancing around. Right. He plays in a, a made up character called Gemini. I mean, this is true. Where he is both He's Batman. Both of them. Yeah, I remember yes. that. I didn't know he had a name. Yes. <laughs> I was doing a lot of reading about Batman at the time. And it's it's an it's an interesting thing because it, it feels very much like people's initial response to that movie and kind of the Batman Joker dynamic of I wish I were both. Hmm. Like I want the freedom to be a crazy you know, clown, but I also want, but I, and, and, and just to be obnoxious, but I also want to be the, the brooding hero. Well, I mean, that's the Joker's whole point in the dark night is he's trying to just insist we're the same person. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah. It's, and there's, a, it's a take. It, it's it, absolutely a take. I, I think it's why of all of the Bat villains, Joker has kind of risen to the top. Um, he was just one of many villains, really, until Dark Knight Returns, in my opinion. I, I'm sure there was stuff that was happening that pre that, that was, like, cementing that idea. Wait, you mean Dark Knight? No, Dark Knight Returns. The oh, comic. The, the comic. Yeah. Sorry. I was thinking. Um, they make a very big point out of that and the Two-Face relationship and and dark knight returns um so everyone was like oh billy d is two-faced awesome like we can't wait to see the sequel i'm sorry i had forgotten i thought that the the second movie of the series was dark knight returns it's just batman returns yes okay yeah um so yeah but speaking of the disappointment when they chose the penguin for the villain for the second movie versus like you had 
Billy D to play Harvey. Yeah. Like people were like, that's going to be amazing. That dude can go over the top. Yeah. Um, and that's not what they chose to do. Um, speaking of side characters, the, the Gordon in this, was that, did that come from the comics or just, he just seemed like such a nothing character in this movie. I mean, and that's part of my thing with this film is it, it's, Here's things you know are associated with Batman from watching the TV show. Here's the car. Here's the bat signal. Here's the cave. These are all the things that we put around Batman. It doesn't, so we don't need to have him act like Batman. He has ears. He has a scalloped cape. Here's Commissioner Gordon, who is a very well fleshed out comic character. But we're just going to make him kind of a bumbling old He's, man. Yes, here. that's exactly what he is. Um, where that's not even when I was a kid, and there was like this this comic or cartoon rather, where Batman and Robin every episode would pull up in front of police headquarters and run up the stairs. Commissioner Gordon was always kind of the guy sending them on their missions. He was mm-hmm. like kind of their M. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, he's just like ooh. Oh, I've got to get there. Oh, who's in charge of things? Should it be me? Yeah. He's not a great character. Yeah. It, it was, it was, had they continued with it and gotten a little more into that. That said, I think there's some stuff that's probably left over from the Sam Ham script in this that they do a really good job in the first 30 minutes of setting up who a ton of characters are yeah. and what they want. And I like that he's up against a group of gangsters. Yeah. Like, it just feels very gritty and, mm-hmm. you know, like, detective-y and all of that. Um, Jack Palance is in this in the beginning. Yeah. Who Nicholson takes over for. Um, who, which, it's just, just a great scene when he's imitating him later on. Um, which, also, I was like, that he, he has to be doing that on the fly. Oh, yes. That <laughs> was so, so funny. <laughs> You are my number one. <laughs> uh, yeah. It um I I I would like to I mean, and I think they got into that in Batman Begins again, where they're like, you have to start Batman in a world where he's yes. he's not going up against like ninjas and in yeah. a little bit in um there's so much going on in the dark knight just yeah. overall but there's some of that in that movie as well yeah um i mean he's dealing with yeah just organized crime mm-hmm. at the beginning and that that is the very kind of concrete thing that he's he's going after yeah. um, when they say batman's going to eradicate crime they don't mean batman's going to stop jaywalking or <laughs> <laughs> You know, Batman's not going to start credit card for all that. Pocketers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they, you know, that, and that's, that's the, the, the basic gist of what they kind of set up as his mission. Um, and it's, it's interesting because with the, they it then have to tie it into Batman's parents' death being part of organized crime. And that's why he's so focused on it versus the notion that what he's really after is stopping the randomness that happens in your world when your parents are just taken away by crime. Um, and when you find out it wasn't random and, you know, Batman begins, then it, it, it shifts kind of the, the focus of, of that whole run. And we never find out in the Batfleck movies kind of like what, what, why, why are you Batman? 
Well, he never had his own movie. No, no. He's very, he's 15 years at least into his career, if not longer. Yeah. You know, when we meet him in that. So, yeah, I think it matters. And I mean, this movie plays with it a little bit by, you know, teasing us by making you think at the beginning that you're seeing the origin of Batman, but it's fascinating and that they really don't do that. It's, um, it, they, they do it through the, those uh, microfiche uh, issue copies of the old Gotham Gazette or Globe. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really good framing device. Like I said, like it starts with like you have Knox who's trying to get the Batman story. So you have kind of entree into that. You don't have all your answers. You have someone who's going to pursue that, although he does absolutely nothing towards that except for make a place for Kim Basinger to show up. Right. Um, you have the, the crime bosses or whatever. You have Grissom and, and you have Palance or sorry, uh, Jack Napier. And he's clearly aiming for Grissom's seat. Um, you have whatever's going on with the DA and, you know, da, 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 Eckert. You have all these players. And then it kind of keeps focusing in more and more and more and more to where it really ends up just being Batman versus the Joker as all these characters kind of get sidelined or killed uh, as the movie progresses. I think I would have been more interested now as a 48 year old adult as kind of like kind of what they did with Batman begins where um, there was more of the crime, you know, crime family stuff. I think it's one of the big successes of the graphic novels. Uh, uh, it was originally just issues released, but of the long Halloween, because it's one of the few beginning to end organized crime stories that also has kind of a supervillain in it element uh, from the Batman comics. I think, Jeff Loeb and, and Tim Sale do like an amazing job there. And there is a movie adaptation that is fine. It's, it's watchable. Um, it's a cartoon. Um, but I would, I'm, I'd be curious to see that because that's, you can't necessarily solve that just by punching one person in the face, which this movie, if Batman could just get to the Joker and punch him in the face, <laughs> everything would be over with. Right. Right. Which is why he has to fight the five, henchmen who were i guess hiding in the belfry <laughs> the top of the cathedral yeah. Yeah. That they ran up 100 flights to get to like the movie does some really good stuff that i don't give a shit that it doesn't make any sense um like i really love the joker taking over tv broadcasts oh yeah and just getting everybody in the city crazy like oh that's so great um the the um, news broadcasters, the woman who dies on air from wearing the makeup, and then the very next time you see the news broadcasters, no one is wearing any makeup. Just uh, that's that's brilliant. Yeah, that's, that, that's that's Tim Burton right there. Yeah, I mean, it's like no no explanation necessary. Yeah. Like that's so great. That's so great. Yeah. They don't even look like they've been washing their faces for. No. Yeah. Well, the way the guy says underarm deodorant <laughs> makes you realize like how like stinky and gross these people are. <laughs> and it feels very much like a comic book Joker plot and execution of that plot. Like if you know the Joker fish story or any of that kind of stuff, like it, it Joker fish is a thing where he's, 
he's going to use his Joker venom on all the fish around Gotham. So when people fish and bring the fish in, he has a copyright on the, on it and he gets a cut. What? It, it, well, it was Joker logic, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> he's, he's, he wants trying to brand them. So he gets a cut of, of, of the proceeds. Yeah. Um, that's the cartoon version. I don't remember how it unfolds in the comic, but yeah, if you say Joker fish to like longtime Batman fans, they should know what you're talking about. But yeah, it's, Oh, and yeah, I mean, Alfred's in this too, but Alfred, I mean, the famed, uh, if you know your hammer films, Michael Gow, go, um, he was in all four of the Batman first Batman myth. There's no way he could believe his good luck stumbling backward into like this massive franchise at this part of his career. He was not that Alfred has to be a spring chicken, but he was not a spring chicken when he did the first one. I'd be curious. That that dude looked like he was 55 when he was 30. So I'm curious. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you see him in Dracula, like he's a, he's supposed to be the young man. He's like playing like basically the Jonathan Harker character Uh and he's, old <laughs> i mean he's he's not but he's just so stiff he yeah. just feels i mean um he's playing a character i don't know what he was like in real life but uh you also have jerry hall in this which is fascinating um i i understand why you would put jerry hall on something my assumption is tim burton was like "Ooh, you mean i can just get jerry hall yes please speaking of jerry hall um just because she's the first woman we've mentioned, really. Yeah. Uh, this movie fails the Bechdel test with flying colors. <laughs> um, I, Kim Basinger is absolutely fine in this. She doesn't bother me. I think she's good. I, I think she's got some very memorable moments. Um, it was, it's very 80s action woman. You are a girl to me. I mean, she has she has agency, like she she seeks out Batman, like she's got some point to the plot, but my god does she scream too much. It's um, hard to believe she was running around in a war zone just yeah, prior to this. like any like mouse movement or you know, a door slamming makes her pass out. It's just over the top ridiculous. Um, and I know it's done for comedic value, but it's 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 a little much. Well, it, it's Batman since the eighties. They finally, in the past maybe ten years or less, really leaned into the Batman Catwoman relationship. It's always been there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's how it ended up in the sixties TV show and whatever. Um, and you know, kind of since Catwoman first showed up and, but Catwoman also showed up and then disappeared. She was just like, uh, originally she was a lady in a giant, like foam cat head, by the way, just, and I wish wow. we could see that depiction. Interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, but until then, you know, Batman going back to the fifties, one of the big arguments in seduction of the innocent, the Frederick Wortham book that ended up with the comic burnings and all that was there's no women in this. It's about a bunch of men living together. 
dot 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 homosexuality equals sin um we're corrupting our children with the batman robin relationship which still gets you know your snickers whatever um and i so i think they really leaned in going into this of going we got to show that batman's like a sexually you know powerful male who can get women and then we'll cast michael keaton as our our dude, who's two inches shorter than Basinger. Yeah, you do flat. not turn flats quite a bit. And they always are framing the shots with one of them standing in the foreground and one of them way in the background. Or they're on the stairs. Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Below him. Yeah. But, um, and I'm not saying short kings can't be, you know. I know, but you're trying to say, oh, he's Batman. And yeah. He's, that was one of the arguments against him. It's like, yeah. he's that he's not that big of or imposing of a guy yeah and i think in the end it kind of works because what you're you're basically saying is of course no one knows he's batman Mm -hmm. he's he's this kind of it's the weird billionaire yeah puts out there with his costume on and he you know that in burton was right it was much more about the attitude and what can the guy convey you know with a glance and i i think to that he he is a great Batman. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at those eyebrows. Yeah, and I mean, he's got bats in his eyebrows. Well, he they sculpted his eyebrows into the mask. I mean, they were like, we can't we can't not have the eyebrows. Right. So, uh, yeah, it it but yeah, it, it she becomes very quickly from kind of this setup of kind of the modern eighties modern woman um, to my entire drive is to make this billionaire love me. Yeah. It's, it's kind of super weird. Their relationship is so one-sided. I was saying that to Ryan. Um, cause she's on page 10 of their relationship and he's kind of just like, Art, you're someone I slept with once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, and they do have kind of this weird speech that ends famously in, in like, but you know, he's out there and I've got to go to work. But it's this awkward, like, here are lines from, like, a much longer couple of pages of dialogue. And we have cut these down to the absolute bare minimum yeah. of, I just got to know, are we going to try and love each other? Like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. You just jumped ahead about five chapters. And, and they, there's, I think, some suggestion, which often happened with these movies that go through a lot of editing and, and it, both the script and, and editing stage of... It felt felt like they intended for there to be more of them dating going on. Yeah. Well, and it just, I mean, if you think of Bruce Wayne billionaire, a lot of times it's associated with, oh, he's he's a womanizer or whatever. I yeah. mean, you, you don't get that in this movie no. in particular. Yeah. But if you kind of think of his character that way, you're like, well, she's making a lot of assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. And Vicki Vale was not a major character. Like she'd been someone they tried to insert in a few times. She still pops up in the comics from time to time. But in following the release of this movie, they tried to make her a thing briefly. And it 
it just didn't take. It's like, ah, people aren't really here to see Batman, like, make time with a, with a lady. They're here to see Batman punch goons. Well, and then afterwards, I mean, he gets a different love interest in each each of the movies afterwards. Yeah, they want James Bond with it, which they yeah. said publicly that's what they were going to do. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're going with the James they Bond brought. model. We're going to swap out actors. Catwoman have... in, in the yeah. second one, and I guess Nicole Kidman's character in the third one, and then... Not, he doesn't really have one in the fourth one except for, I guess, uh, uh, Uma Thurman. Wait, is that true? No, I, oh. don't, I mean, she's not really his love interest, but she is trying to put the move so on I believe Batman and Robin. L. McPherson is in the movie playing his girlfriend. Oh, that's right. I've forgotten about that. And she plays Julie Madison, who was his first girlfriend in the comics. That was his original Lois Lane, but she disappears after like the first three years of the comic. Okay. Um, so yeah yeah i do okay yeah he has her show up at like, but she doesn't talk event. she has apparently like two lines uh-huh. in the movie. danny just covered that movie uh-huh. on, on uh, yeah. superheroes every day yeah and i'd forgotten about all that because it's been several years since i've watched that movie um but yeah this the 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 the, the detail of the sets it's funny because you go from this movie that clearly had a large budget to get made but they only had so many sets so they keep driving past the monarch theater they keep driving past city hall they keep going to the same places kind of over and over all which is fine we get to the second movie and it's like oh we've got five times this amount of set now we're 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 gonna have a zoo and we're gonna have well in the second movie like artistically feels a lot more Burton-esque. Yeah. I mean, they did bring in the Christmas aspect of yeah. it, which makes it. Even- well, sadly, the guy who designed this one killed himself between those two movies. Oh no. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what the story was, but he, he uh, like, as this movie was kind of at its peak, he like jumped out of a window or something. Oh God. Yeah. So clearly dealing with some issues. Um, but I think from that point, Burton was able to take over the, the visuals. But you end up losing um, some of it. Like, you know, like Vicky's apartment seems both completely crazy and practical, right? I mean. Well, I was confused because I was under the assumption that she was just in town to find the bat. And so she didn't actually live there. But then you go to her apartment and it's absolutely enormous. Well, I, I mean, I just took it as like, she's renting a place. She's subletting while she's in town. Yeah. This is your photographer's salary? I mean, I guess if you're a world-class photographer, but I didn't really think photographers made that much. Well, she's supposed to be a high-end fashion photographer who's now doing this. So I'm assuming she's supposed to have made her bones in the fashion. I don't know anything about yeah. photography okay. or any of that. Who knows? Yeah. We don't know if she has family wealth. We've not been told. Right. Um but yeah, and she, by the way, I think she's a TV reporter originally in the comics. I don't think she's actually a photographer, but mm. whatever, you know. Um, Bob the Goon is played by Tracy Walter. The Goon, poor <laughs> Bob the Goon. I can't not talk about that because I, even as a kid, I found Bob hilarious. As like, this is a guy who has no lines. His job is to show up and to be someone for the Joker to talk to. Right. So the Joker's not talking to himself. And he's perfect in the role right up through the point where he gets shot for absolutely no reason. That is one of the greatest moments 
in the movie to me. Mm-hmm. It's so brutal. Mm-hmm. And yet so funny. Yeah. And it's just because the Joker's mad that his balloons have been taken away. Yeah. And he's just, he's not even looking at him when he does it. He just kind of looks off to the side. Blammo. Because yeah. he's pissed. But it's such a Joker thing. Yes. Yeah. So Bob the Goon is now mostly famous with comic folk by being the only figure you could find in stores for years. <laughs> really? Bob, he, was, he was the original what we call peg warmer. Uh, <laughs> you would go to kmart or whatever and get on the action figure aisle and there'd be you'd see the batman's logo and you'd go over and it would just be like a wall of bob the goons no one had ever bought and was never gonna buy and now bob the goon i think on ebay actually goes for something because of that i don't know what happened to all the bob the goon figures but um yeah so uh, always celebrate bob the goon um but that does remind me so the movie does a lot of things now would never survive like the YouTube culture. And I don't mean woke stuff, whatever. Um, I mean, probably that too, but um, like the let's point out every logical flaw in the movie. And probably the number one I have is the Joker announces on television where he's going to be and not a cop in sight. That's true. He's having a parade slowly rolling down the middle of town and it requires Batman to show up. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the cops are so ineffectual in this movie. Yeah. They're, I mean, they feel like the Adam West cops, even from the point where he shows up at city hall with all his mimes. Yes. And starts gunning people down. It's a police event. I mean, yeah. more or less. You can see like no less than four cops in the background when they suddenly whip out their out of nowhere, nothing. pull out their Tommy guns. They yeah. Do yeah. He walks right up to I can't remember who he stabs in the throat. It's one of the mob bosses, yeah. Yeah. And stabs him in the throat. And no one tries to arrest him. Yes, his goons have guns, but that normally wouldn't stop anyone. You think the cops would have noticed the guys passing Tommy guns out? Yeah. In the background, but yeah, no, the police are. But the movies, the movie is not about having a lot of like logic. It's about creating moments, um, and and that with, it does. And with that, it does. And I, I I salute it for that. I just I, I know if this was released now. It would get eviscerated by, you know, some guy who talks like this on YouTube. Have you noticed in the Joker and in the Batman? Ten things you missed about Batman. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I, it, I, it is what it, I mean, this is also a movie that was aimed at me exactly when I was 14 years old. Yeah. Um, I loved this when it came out. Yeah. And I enjoy watching it now. I, I think you can even tell from us talking about it. We have an affection for it. Yeah. I mean, I've got some Space Jam fallacy with this. I really do. Yeah. It oh. just, there are just so many beats in it that I can, I can, so many lines I can recite, mm-hmm. so many beats that are etched into my mind um, that I just wait for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 
it's still highly enjoyable for me to watch. If, if I make it sound like my parents were monsters not letting me go to see this movie, I do want to also say I was doing homework on a Sunday afternoon, age probably 15 then, and my mom pops open the door to my room, and I didn't even know this thing existed, threw a copy of Batman on VHS onto my bed. And you you couldn't buy VHS tapes like no, that back then. Back then, when they first came out, they were priced outrageously so that you'd have to rent them. Yeah. They were like $99. Yes. And I thought my mother, for a hot second, had spent $100 on buying me Batman. Okay. And I my jaw just, like, you know, $100 back then was a lot of money. I mean, it still is for that. But, yeah, back then it was an insane amount. So I just was like, you need to return this. I can rent it. And she's like, it was like $18 or something. And I was just like, I own Batman. <laughs> I own, my mom saw Batman and knew enough to. No, I can watch it 16 more times. Oh, I probably watched that movie in the first year after I had it on a VHS, probably 30 times. I just uh, constantly, as you do at that age. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of was like, not over Batman, but at some point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. Like when I showed up in ninth grade, I didn't wear Batman shirts anymore. I think I wore a Batman shirt one day to school in ninth grade after the movie had come out. Well then, but the sequel came out. So how'd you feel with the sequel? So the sequel came out when I was 92. at summer camp. Mm -hmm. I was at a seven week, I was a drama kid. I was at a seven week drama, whatever where I figured out I'm not a good actor and I'm not going to do this, uh, which was good. It was a good way to spend the summer between your junior and senior year. So you don't go off to college and figure it out in college. Right. Um, and the, it came out then. So I didn't see it for like three weeks until I got home and I saw it. My, there were parts of it. I would say I had peaks and valleys with it. I continue to, because as Kevin pointed out in 1997 or whatever, it'd be nice if Burton could tell a story. Um, I loved like penguins with rocket packs. Yeah. I loved, uh, I mean, I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was fantastic in that movie. It, it did not hurt. It, it, it not hurt in its own way, but it, yeah, I was highly distracted by Michelle Pfeiffer in that movie. So it seemed great at the time. Okay. It's, it was not just like talking aesthetically, which aesthetically it was a great performance as well, but her interaction with Keaton was great. She's an amazing actor. Yeah. I mean, and, and she got to really play it up. I do think it unfortunately set a precedent for the next two movies where she, camped it up and but it managed to stay within the milieu of kind of what they were doing mm -hmm. and that totally got away from them in the next two yeah. movies yeah um where they basically went back to thinking they were doing batman 66 of but with a bigger budget um i don't know how i feel about them going for the penguin for the next because he's not he's not the penguin he's a character who is called the penguin yeah, he, um, he, he uh, pushed the line over into gross for me. Um, well, he's it, everything about it is made up for the movie. Yeah. His look, him being gross. Like, the Penguin's yeah. supposed to just be a short, dapper guy with trick umbrellas. Yeah, this That's, guy actually had penguins. Yeah, he does bird crimes. That's his thing, is he steals, like, 
oh, the jewel of the ostrich is in town at the museum, at the Gotham Museum. Like, we know the penguin will go after it, so we've got to be on alert. Like, that's that's a that's penguin story. In the well, comics. and it started the, 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 the thing of, well, now we have to have two villains in every movie. Yeah. Which you didn't really need. Well, even in the, well, in the third, the fourth one, sorry, you've got... One of them is barely a character, but you've got, um, oh shoot. Bane. Well, yes. <laughs> well, you said barely a character. Yeah, that's, that's who I was getting to, but, um, Poison Ivy and, Mr. Uh, Freeze. Mr. Freeze. Thank you. And then Bane, yeah. which, let's talk about Bane, but. And, um, and by that point, like, you can love the movie, but it's also characters who are, playing to the rafters and they're, they're doing, they're doing, they're right back to doing, well, it's, it's fun playtime. Like why people would be guest stars on the old Batman show. Yeah. I get to play a ludicrous character and play on this playground, which is fine, but it was a pretty far stretch from what I think the initial intent was. And I think it's just indicative of WB's problems. So if you flash forward to the Catwoman movie of, 2004 or whatever they're still in that mindset at that movie so they had to do a major reset to get to batman begins which is still pretty silly when you watch batman begins um but it's not really till you get to dark knight rises i think or dark knight that you kind of get to the modern flair of of superheroes and is there an actual point to the story you're telling Mm -hmm. um so yeah it, it it, it did set up everyone, you know, it was an interesting period because Superman is on the shelf now and he has been since Superman four that has proven nobody likes Superman because Superman four did badly. It's not that it was a shit movie. Oh, he was on the shelf for almost 20 years. Yes. Yeah. And now everyone's like Superman's, you know, cause you have to have a, you have to always have people pitting something against something. All right. So mm. it's now Superman's dumb. I'm a Batman guy. Because before that, I'd been, well, Superman has a movie that I think was pretty good. And Batman's, you know, silly Batman. So you don't take him seriously. So I'm a Superman guy, if they knew anything about superheroes. Because back then it was Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Hulk, and Spider-Man were the only superheroes that existed as far as the public was concerned. So, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a, a weird period. And it, it, um, I don't blame anyone for being a, a huge, you know, Batman fan. I, I was myself for many years. I quit reading the comics. Oh gosh, probably ten or fifteen years ago because you can only see Batman do the same thing so many times. Um, well, let me ask you this: how how much do you think the animated series? Because I don't remember exactly when it came out. 92. 92? Okay. Well, I was going to ask how much of a, of a direct line can you draw between the two? I mean, would it have existed without this movie? No. I mean, obviously used the theme song, you know, and all the music and everything, but... Um, no, Warner Brothers was like... We but, have a successful. But they finally, thing. yes, they, yeah. they they realized it was a profitable. Yeah. Um, but the route the 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 route they took with it to be serious and to be stylistic 
um, and to tell really interesting stories. I mean, it's a great series. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, the network, Warner Brothers execs, and the the um, uh, censors thought nonstop the entire time that show was on. Hmm. Nonstop. It's part of why they went and did Superman for a while. Yeah. Because they're like, people aren't, if we make Superman during the daytime and, you know, he's wearing red and blue, everyone's going to unclench. And they were right. I mean, the Superman show was just as good. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed yeah. both of them. Uh, they applied but, what they'd learned. Yeah. They, it was kind of amazing that those two shows were, you know, even in existence. They're like, wow, you made something really cool. I mean, that kind of continued with um, DC animation for a while. Yes, they had a they had a straight run from pretty much ninety two to whenever Justice League Unlimited wrapped up. Yeah, mm-hmm. of of that office putting out really good stuff, um, and then them doing other series, and every other series they've done has felt less than. Yeah, um, and I I I can't really a lot of the same people are involved. So I don't really know what the difference is, but it always feels like whatever tweak they're trying to make just doesn't quite work. Yeah. Um, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't really put my finger on it. I've tried to watch a couple of them as they've come out and just been like, meh, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think the cartoon definitely helped also shape a lot of people, um, opinions of Batman. It was funny. My freshman year of college was 93 so I was aware of Batman of the cartoon and there was a block every day that was like four o'clock or something like that. That was, um, uh, Animaniacs and then it would go into Batman. Mm-hmm. And as the year progressed, I was you know pretty much from week one. Here's where my ass is going to be every day <laughs> at four o'clock. Um, people started drifting in and then they're asking me a bunch of questions about Batman and, you know, and all that, which still persists to this day to some extent. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it, it definitely got older young people to pay attention to what kind of, what was still going on with Batman and we go, Oh, there's kind of this rich world to Gotham, um, that I don't know has really been exploited in the movies the right way. So, um, and I don't know what they're going to do with the upcoming Robert Pattinson stuff. I, I, I liked a lot of parts of the new one. I liked the Batman more than I expected to. Yeah. Um, I still wish they'd turn the lights up a little bit more. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think for the most part, it was a, 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 if, if anything, it did something that this movie kind of starts at of Batman knows his job is to save people, not just punch crooks. Mm-hmm. Um, which he does a very bad job at in this movie, by the way. Like saving people, yes, or punching crooks, both. Uh, just two examples. He shows up well after the Joker has already started gassing the crowd at the parade. Yeah, well I mean, after. I know it was this supposed to be this dramatic last minute entrance, but it it just comes off as silly. It's like. Well, you knew it was going to happen. Why didn't you show up? Yeah. He's got to focus more on getting his plane to fly in front of the moon. The trailer shot. Um, And he, 
he knows Vicky's at the museum. Somehow decides instead of just going there and seeing what's going on, or calling her and going, "What's up?" He's gonna break in. He's gonna show up a full like two hours late after the Joker's. I can't tell if people are knocked out or murdered. I assume murdered. Like the she she looks at her watch. Yeah, like the Joker is late. Yeah, himself. So if he'd just shown up when he was supposed to. All of this could have been avoided. Yeah. So they try to avoid all this, but I can't. It's like, you're not good at avoiding things. But you've got to have the Prince dance number. <laughs> it's, so yeah, Batman's very bad about helping people. I think he gets better over the course of the movies about maybe helping public and not showing up super late. Because apparently it takes a while to get your gear on and fly, well, get to the airport to get yeah, your bat plane. I mean, and, especially if your head doesn't turn, that that's one piece. Yeah. It must be hard to fly the bat plane with no head turning. Oh God! He must have rearview yeah. mirrors or something. Yeah. Um. But yeah. And then part of why I was willing to watch this movie was I don't know if you guys have listened to the Flash podcast. Yes, that's part of why I stopped because he Michael Keaton came back in the flash and they're like you guys got Batman back you guys got the OG Batman and he really seems like I mean it kind of fits his character for where he's supposed to be in the yeah. flash but he just feels like he does not want to be there and then they kill him and then they kill him over and over it's like, and hey over. remember how you like this character you're gonna watch him die 10,000 times yeah you cannot save this character that's the point of this movie is there's no saving Batman. He did. I my brain is still just like <laughs> why did everyone I can know why Heaton agreed to it because it's kind of his Harrison Ford like I'll play Han Solo one more time but he's sure. got to get killed right 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 um but I'm still just like Warner Brothers come on man. Yeah. We didn't need the last ride of Batman when it's not a Batman movie. Well, and then he just he bring they they roll out the the old one liners. Yeah, like oh we got to have him say, "Do you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts." Everyone wants to hear that. Yep, because you know Keaton's been hearing that every day since 1989. Well, and he says it so just like. All right, I'll say the things. <laughs> you know, that was another million dollars in the contract. I'll say it for one million dollars. <laughs> you hear the little cash register in the background <laughs> once he says it. For every line that appeared in a prior Batman movie, one million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was interesting to kind of bookend, uh, reverse bookend, I guess, and, and go back. Um, but yeah. So if you haven't heard the flash, Stuart and I recorded it. I thought I lost the file. So we recorded it again and then I found the file. So there's actually two versions of our flash podcast of me bemoaning this exact same point on two different podcasts. But, um, anyway, uh, from this movie, Keaton, tried to go do dramas. He did like clean and sober and stuff like that. I guess he rolled on his, he was in stuff kind of consistently, but it would be stuff like Jack Frost and. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and 
he's recently kind of found a niche kind of clearly like a lot of actors he's been through therapy and accepted like okay that was in fact the highlight of my career i'm going to embrace it in spider-man homecoming and knocked it out of the park but he'd done birdman before that he had done birdman but he was just so good and menacing. Yeah, and everyone kind of wants him to come back. And but like Disney and Marvel and Sony, yeah, and such I mean, it's possible movie. they didn't kill off his character and he's in prison. Well, they so. they were supposed to do a Sinister Six movie with him in it, uh-huh. and uh, these movies keep not doing well as they're coming out. So. He's also getting up there, so you know you gotta got to do yeah. these things. Chip chop, yeah. Everyone turns 80. Yep. Um, Jack Nicholson, of course, uh, is still... Now people are picking on him because he's like 85 and overweight. And I'm like... Dude. Yeah. Uh, just like... Be. Internet. Come on. Understand what it means to be an older gentleman. Robert Wool kind of was Robert Wool for a while. I think he was on our list for years. Yeah. And then he's kind of he's never my favorite actor. I don't mind him in this just because he, he, he kind of fits the character. Character's supposed to be kind of annoying, so yeah. it was fine. Um, Billy D. Williams is like out doing cons and he'll show up for Star Wars stuff. He's fully embraced his Lando ness. Palance passed years ago. Uh, Kim Basinger kind of in the 90s kind of disappeared towards the end of the decade she was great in la confidential amazing in la confidential and that was kind of like her swan song uh she came back in the 50 shades movies um and i'll, I'll be i don't think kim basinger is going to listen to this podcast she was a little rusty she she seemed like someone who was like i'm here what are my lines great okay um, but also, if you're in a Fifty Shades it's a movie, 50 Shades I think movie. that was the I'll appropriate. Yeah, those movies are weird. It's like your your movie crushes of of years past. Now we're here as the moms. Um, that's that's what it's to get older, kids. Uh, Pat Hingle, I have no idea what happened to him. I'm assuming he's passed. Michael Go passed years ago. Jerry Hall, I believe, is married to Rupert Murdoch right now. Uh, or was she has been associated with many people from Mick Jagger to Brian Ferry and. Apparently was like, screw it, I'm going for the billions. I'll 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 hook up with Rupert. Uh she briefly had an MTV reality show where she was dating young hunks. Huh. Yeah. And then was just mean to them and it was hilarious. Um but aside from that, I don't really know. Uh, there weren't like a whole lot of other guys who kind of popped out of the movie that uh, I could think of, but it did kind of for a brief time as these movies would do at the time. You know, give Robert Wool like a stand-up special on HBO and, you know, things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, then you do, we've already talked about kind of went into the sequels of the Tim Burton and then the two Joel Schumacher ones. And they gave it a break and came back with Batman Begins after the completely bonkers misfire of Catwoman. Um, I mean, in retrospect, there really wasn't that long between those two between the fourth one and Batman Begins. That's that sweet action figure money they wanted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, mean, it, it seemed when it, when Batman Begins came out, it seemed like it had been a long time, but. And that's kind of one of the fascinating things about where DC has kind of gone is they still want to play in like the, we're going to sell toys out of these things, but then they make a movie like the Batman 
and there's still action figures for it. And I'm like, no child is supposed to see this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Adults who are be interested probably already have a wall of action figures of Batman. So you're going to sell maybe one or two. These movies made an astronomical amount of money, like Star Wars money off the toys. Oh, I mean, it was Kenner as well. The, the, the car and the plane alone. Yeah. I mean, I still fetishize that his, car. Yeah. I, I have that car. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, I still think the design on that car is, is amazing. It's great. Um, I still like the fact that it's guys in hats. Like they're they they in which the TV show picked up on the cartoon picked up on. It's like, we're going to set this as if it's oh, like the fedoras. Yeah. It's yeah, like it's late thirties. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that there's something that I don't think they can do it with the Batman, but you know, they've already kind of placed themselves where they've placed them, but um, they've done enough other aesthetic things with that movie that I don't think it'd be that crazy. But I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing for DC to think about is like, what is your aesthetic? Like you guys really sold the Batman or 1989 Batman movie on aesthetic moral sense. Mm-hmm. And you've, you, I wouldn't say they've abandoned it, but they've gone into like somehow Bruce Wayne lives in a gothic cathedral on top of a skyscraper. Well, <laughs> Batman 89 was dark, and now they've made it somehow even darker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could at least see the fight scenes. Yeah. Back then. Well, I blame Christopher Nolan somewhat for that. But anyway, I think we've probably talked your ears off about. 1989 Batman. Um, if you have any thoughts or questions or comments, do drop them. Uh, I'm going to be tucking this in between the Halloween episodes this year. Um, so it's, it's kind of Halloween-ish. Spooky. Kids dressed up as Batman for it's 20 true. years, they 40 did. years, something like that. So, Including my brother. Yep. Um, if you have bat, bat memories to share, please share them. I mean, I, we, didn't even, we didn't really talk about the adult merchandising banana, bonanza because not just the toys. Like, this one sold T-shirts. I had a one of those goofy biker's hats that were popular for about 30 seconds in the late 80s with a flipped-up bill mm. that said Batman on it. That's how cool I was. Um, But, yeah. Anyway, share your bat memories. We want to hear them. So, anything else, Jamie? Batman's. I actually like that song, though. I know. <laughs> but I can't. I just gotta know. Are we gonna try to love each other? Stop the press. Who is that? Kiki Vale. She is great, isn't she? it up for this edition of the signal watch a production of the league of melbotus thanks for sticking with us if you enjoyed the podcast 
we invite you to drop on by the Signal Watch blog, where you'll find write-ups of a wide variety of movies and more. We'd love to hear from you, so find us online and let us know what you think. Whether you prefer email, blog comments, or social media, we'll be happy to hear from you. We'll be back soon with more exceedingly high-quality content. So, until next time. God damn it, babies. You've got to be kind.